What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Making the Turn, the premier green industry podcast that highlights professionals across many areas, including golf course management, sports turf, sales, business, education, landscaping, and more. Making the Turn is hosted by me, BJ Parker. I've spent nearly 25 years in the green industry, mostly as a golf course superintendent, and now I want to bring the knowledge and insight from myself and the many people I've met and continue to meet along the way. Making the Turn will provide valuable content for those looking to learn from others, gain useful tips and tricks, and be better in their daily lives. You can find Making the Turn on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please be sure to rate, review, share, and subscribe. It helps keep the podcast growing and getting better. Thanks for listening, and welcome to another episode of the Making the Turn podcast. What is going on, everybody? Welcome into another episode of the Making the Turn podcast. I'm your host, BJ Parker, and I appreciate you joining me. It's been a little bit since I've been on here. It's good to get back in the saddle again. And uh, sitting in with a good friend of mine, uh, the owner the owner the, of Greystone Golf Club. What's your official title? Well, I guess you'd call me the owner. Owner <laughs> slash GM slash director of golf, everything, Mr. Bob Walcott. How you doing, sir? Thank you, BJ. It's good to be with you. Good. I'm glad you're doing this for me, man. It's fun. Oh, shoot. Hey, I've been I- wanting to do this with, with you for a while. I know we're going to get into a lot of topics. I didn't spring this on you, uh, but we got to talk about – got to give you congratulations on your dogs. I hate it from I mean, the bottom I, of my heart. <laughs> I'm kind of shocked here that you're not wearing a Georgia T-shirt today. I mean, really. I didn't do that on purpose, but, you know, I had to throw the Alabama on you. I know. But. Hey, it, it happens. I mean, it's been a good run for the dogs. It's, yeah. uh, it was good to see back-to-back. It's kind of hard to believe. Uh, yeah. You know, I was there a long time ago when Herschel was there. We won 40, I guess it's 41 years ago now. Yeah. But uh, good times in Athens. And it's tragedy that happened the other night, losing the car wreck, lost yeah. some Georgia dogs. But, uh Heart goes out to them, prayers. Sure. But uh, Kirby's done an amazing job in Athens, and yep. it's fun to see. Well, I know as a, a, a longtime Georgia fan, you went to Georgia, didn't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's got to be – I started out at Wake Forest. I went on the oh, Arnold Palmer yeah. scholarship to Wake and then yeah. transferred to Georgia. I didn't have a date while I was in Winston-Salem and figured the SEC had better-looking <laughs> women and better football. So there you go. Yeah. Well – so let let's let's kind of track back a little bit because I, I I'm done with the Georgia Bulldogs. I mean, I, they, <laughs> I, I think Alabama's going to be. I think they're going to come back. I hope that uh, Saban looks like if it goes to a 12 team, it'll just be several SEC teams fighting out for it no in the next future. So we'll get a chance to follow up next year. But heck of a season by the Bulldogs. Last couple of years, they've been the best team in, the, in football. So, but I I'd I, rather be lucky than good anytime. Yeah, be know, that TCU didn't deserve to be out there. So. But um, so um, I don't know if you listen to any of my podcasts, but most of them are centered around golf, and I just talk to people and enjoy getting to know them. And although I know a lot about you, and we spend a lot of time together, I, you know, most people that might listen to this don't know you or don't know anything about you. So just um, start back at the beginning. Some things I, I can learn, but like, how where did your interest in golf come in? So. What- my dad, um, I grew up in Dixon, Tennessee, which is west of Nashville, about yep. 30 miles. My dad was a dentist, and we had Dixon Country Club. And back then, you know, it's hard to believe that people, kids couldn't play on the weekend. So, you know, when you were told you couldn't play on the weekend, you're going to school Monday through Friday. So we we really took advantage of the summer months, and uh, we'd go out there, and we might play 36, 54 holes growing up. Yep. And so all the group we ran with – we're pretty good at everything in athletics, so I played it all. And I was a decent pitcher, decent basketball player, but sure. golf was where I could really hang my hat and do something pretty well. And so uh, I took a lesson from Bobby McKeever at Bellmead Country Club. My dad saw him teaching Matt King, and Matt went to Wake Forest, and I think he's kind of the head of the trustees at Wake Forest now. Matt's a longtime friend, a really great player out yeah. in Nashville, and went to BGA and uh, played there. But I noticed that Matt was doing really well in junior golf. My dad said, hey, I need somebody to kind of help train him. So Bobby took me from a six handicap to a scratch in about two months Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, was 15 and then kind of just took off. And Golf World kind of – they rank juniors now, but I was probably the number one recruit in the country. Mike Holder from Oklahoma State came out here before he won his eight national championships. He had won one. And, you know, back then it was a long recruiting season. You commit – maybe September and you sign and at the end of May. Right. And I had committed, but 
you know, I kept thinking 14 hours from Dixon to Stillwater, Oklahoma. <laughs> That's a long ways. And yeah. My mom really didn't want to see me go that far, so I didn't decommitted. Then I went to Wake, and I was really kind of unsure about where I wanted to go because I really kind of want to go to Oklahoma State. And But I always loved my visit to Georgia. Mm-hmm. It was just the pine trees, the campus, the golf was great. And so when I transferred, I knew – that's kind of where I wanted to go. And yeah. so, but, you know, I was a good junior player um, and just started having success, started traveling all over the country, playing amateur tournaments and yeah. having a lot of success there and became a three-time All-SEC, first-team All-American at Georgia. And then I decided I wanted to turn pro, and I turned pro in 1984 and went to the Provident Classic and led to the last day and kind yeah. of – didn't play very well, but knew I wanted to play professional golf. And it took me a while to get my card. And I got my card in 88 and played the PGA Tour from 89 to 90, 91, 92. And then lost my card in 92. And then played the Nike Tours and got back out there in 97 and just didn't play well. And, you know, if we had the information we had now, track man and yeah. things, you know, it might be different, but uh, I just couldn't get it fixed out at I just knew I could do better things, and so um, John Duke was having Mark McCumber built his golf course at Greystone, and mm-hmm. so he offered me a, to be a part owner. And I, you know, I always thought, hey, there's more to life than just traveling around the country hitting a golf ball. I mean, right. and so I was kind of a little homebody to an extent, but not, you know, traveling the world. And I thought, hey, I could if I could put some money in the bank, playing the tour, and do something else, it, it'd be a good life. And so, you know, my boys uh, had. Um, Ben was my first. He was born in 95, and then Hunter Carter in 98. And um, so we set up shop in Nashville uh, for a while, playing the tour. And then so as the boys grew, we, we came to Burns out here in Dixon, Tennessee, and from yeah. being from Dixon. And then, you know, they obviously went to school here. But so I started taking um, – working here. And then 2003, McCumber asked me to be involved with a project in Tunica. And um, – went down and took over Tunica Nashville, helped them open uh, Tunica Nashville. And my family kind of stayed here. And so the boys kept playing at Greystone. And Mr. Duke wound up losing it to the bank. And then um, a buddy of mine bought it um, after a couple of years and asked me if I wanted to lease it. So I've leased Greystone for about 18 years. Uh-huh. And then I always had an opportunity to uh, purchase option in there. And so I'd execute the purchase option over about a year and a half ago. So, um, yeah. you know, I'm in the – so that's kind of my life story, fast pace. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, my boys obviously wound up playing golf. Ben wound up playing at Ole Miss, which was great. And then yeah. Hunter just graduated from Tennessee, and he's trying to play. And then um, and then Carr's in construction in Nashville. Yeah. So um, And he graduated in construction management at Tennessee. So got two Tennessee grads, one Ole Miss grad, and then there was me So yeah. uh, at Georgia. So they, they said my degree didn't count. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well – so let's back up a little bit, and I, I know you're being humble about some of your golf playing days, but uh, give me a give me like a story that you remember from your college days, and we'll talk about some of the PGA Tour stuff. But you've grew, you you kind of came up with a lot of good golfers, and you know, oh, no old doubt. school guys. But so, I'm sure you got some good stories there. So you know, in the SEC, we um, Conrad Rayling was a famous teacher that wound up teaching you know Jerry Pate, and um, um, you know, obviously Jerry Pate. If you looked at his golf swing, it just was it was just smooth yeah. as silk, and he was a tremendous player. And so Conrad was Alabama's coach. And so, you know, coaches back then you kind of stood back from. But anyway, so we, our SEC championship was at Westlake. And so you kind of think of these coaches, they're rough and tough. And so, anyway, Alabama and Georgia tie at the SEC championship, and we're going to have a playoff. And I said, where's Coach Raylan? They said, well, he's so nervous, he's in the bathroom <laughs> throwing up. <laughs> oh, no. And so, uh, you know, it kind of was like, how can that happen? You know, how yeah. can that be? And so, anyway, that may be why we beat him in the playoff, but because uh, they didn't have his expertise. Uh, but he was a lot of fun. I mean, it, every team we played was pretty good. You know, Mike Holder wound up winning eight national championship, and he was really rough and tough. And yeah. And so he always wanted to challenge. I'd go out there and work their camps, and he'd always want to challenge you whether you want to run, play golf, whatever. He was just wanted. To, he wanted to prove to you that he was tougher, right? And you. And there's a story about Bob Tway that he was wanting to try to. You know, we were out there and toughen up Bob Tway, and he said, "Well, I'm tougher than you." And Bob says, "There's no way you're tougher than me." And then, "Oh yeah, I'm tougher than you." And hey, they scrapped it out on the tenth, <laughs> on the tenth tee. Oh, for real? Right, for real. Yeah. In a round of golf out there, yeah. and so. Uh, 
you know, he's got instilled the toughness. So that was always fun, you know. But uh, one of the best stories, it's pretty funny. My coach is uh, Dick Copas, just passed away this year. And oh, so, uh, coach was always just had these one liners. So we're playing a tournament and he tells us about it. He says, you know, he, the guy hit a shot up and he said, good shot, son. And, you know, you got a different day, these kids. He goes, well, I'm not your son. He goes, good shot, asshole. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, yeah. Co- Coach was the man full of one-liners all the time, but he was a good guy. He worked for Coach Dooley for a long time. We call him the get-back coach. Nice. Came over from Auburn to yeah. Georgia. and then, But, you know, Coach always demanded you give your best and look yeah. your best and be your best at all times. Yeah. He was a good guy, good leader. Well, it's, certainly coaches have molded, you know, me and you and everybody else that comes up, and they're always important to what you learn in life and stuff, and it's good to have a good one. I'm sure that you, you've been around some good ones. You know, and you coach you. I'm, I'm. I don't know that you coach your sons, but I know that you've had a lot of coaches in your life, and you know that's probably something that you enjoy doing as well. So, you talk know, they, a little bit about that. Well, they don't. I don't think they appreciate it. My ex-wife, <laughs> my ex-wife, Val would always get into me. You know, you're 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 terrible with them. You know, yeah. you're too hard on them. They're crying. I'm like, I want. I'm just pushing. Yeah. You know, dads are made to push for sure. And uh, the pursuit of excellence and what they're trying to do is at a level that's hard for people to comprehend yeah and, you know i always tell that story i worked with bob rotella and he told the story about the um the dad was always on his kid all the time he goes well tell me what kind of business you're in he said well i'm in the insurance business he goes well all right is it the best in the town oh yeah i'm the top three of the town he goes well is it you know what about in the mid-state oh i'm probably in the top 20 in the mid-state well tell me about the state well i'm in the top 50 of the state what about the southeast Probably the top 5,000. Well, tell me about your son. What's he in town? Well, he's the best. What about in the mid-state? Well, he's the best, if not second best. What about the state? Well, he's maybe top three. Well, what about the mid-south? He's in the top ten. He goes, sounds like you need to learn from your son rather than yourself (laughs) in competition. So I tried to push, but I kind of knew what I was talking about pushing. But I didn't, you know, and I think they look at it now that they get it. You know what I mean? I don't think they got it a lot of times, but – no matter how hard you work, there's somebody else there working hard. For real. And so uh, that's what I'd tell anybody and whatever they're doing. The people that are successful really work hard. Right. So what are what are some of your best memories and worst memories of being on the PGA Tour? Because I'm, I'm sure that's a grind in itself. Well, you know, the Tour's great. You know, yeah. I think there's not a better place in the world when you're playing great. You know, and you got – it's a different day. I played out there when there was Woodwoods and – Wound balls, and, right? You know, I didn't ever play in there of the Don't new date ball. yourself too much now. Well, <laughs> I am sixty one, BJ. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> you know, and I think um, so. Making it is one thing, but you know, the Champions Tour had not taken off. They started the Nike Tour when I was out there, yeah. And so it was dog eat dog. You either made it or missed, you know. So the stars were still out there: Nicholas, the Floyds, the Ballesteros, you yeah. know, the Watsons, the Trevinos. They were still out there when I was playing. You know, um, my Long-term idol, Lou Graham, was at Ritzland. You know, he's from Nashville. Yeah. Mason Rudolph in Clarksville and Gibby Gilbert out of Chattanooga. You know, they were still there. You know, they come sure. out and play. And so and so, I think getting used to being out there with the guys that you just go, oh, my goodness, the Andy Beans, the Jerry Pates of the world. You know, they're people you've been watching on TV forever. You had yeah. to get used to that. So I'll tell you a story. My second year at Pebble Beach, Pandel Savick, Son went to school with me at the University of Georgia. Pandel Savick ran the memorial. He's Nicholas's best friend. He was quarterback at Ohio State. So Nicholas always loved for Pandel to tell stories of back in the days of the football, yeah. you know, of coaches, you know, giving them the rah-rah, you know, speech. And so Pandel was great. He, so I go out there to play with him at, at Pebble Beach at the AT&T. And so we go out there and – so we play the first day at Pebble and have a good round. And, you know, we go to uh, – back then, you went to Spyglass a day or Poppy Hills. They kind of switched. And so the last day, we were over at Cypress Point, and then they're going to make the cut. And Nicholas said, hey, we're going to have dinner at the Wharf after we play on Saturday. You know, we'll just kind of celebrate yep. the deal. And so I remember I was five under par at Cypress Point, and – we were in good shape, and so we go to 16. If you've ever known Cypress Point, it's the, the hole you see. It's got an island green. And and so the year before, you don't get in all the practice holes because it's three courses you kind of go. And so right. I figured I was hitting the ball about the same distance. So I took a two-iron and 
He's up in the sky and wound up going in the ocean. And wound <laughs> up making, long story short, made it eight. And um, so I finish and shoot basically even par. I was really upset. So get there, get down to the wharf, and Nicholas is waiting on me. Yeah. And he goes, everybody goes in, and he goes, i got to talk to Bob. So he pulls me over, and he goes, the Bob, I want you to know, in your fit of rage, you signed the wrong scorecard for you and Pandel. Pandel's been playing out every 17 years and never made the cut, but y'all would have made the cut this year if you'd have signed the right scorecard. <laughs> so I felt like the coyote on the Roadrunner, and the Roadrunner smashed, you know, yeah. and I was like, oh, me. And I said, and so I apologized to him. I said, I'll tell you what, we'll come back next year and make the cut. And sure enough, we went back the next year and made the cut. There so, you go. Uh, well, that was a pretty good story, but uh, I felt bad at the time. <laughs> well, I imagine you did. I mean, heck, who, you don't want to upset the man, do you? No, not, not the man. <laughs> the best of all. You know, and I think, you know, I played – so it took me a little while. 88, I didn't play very well, but, um, you know, I had some success and got back out there in 89 – I mean, uh, 90 and made seven cuts in a row. Once you get kind of into yeah. a groove, uh, you play pretty well and – uh, my first really good tournament was Anheuser-Busch in the summer. It was really hot. And yeah. Lanny Watkins was playing behind me with Curtis Strange. That's where Curtis Strange lives. And, you know, I remember my longtime teacher, Bobby McKeever, taught me how to play. He was over there, and uh, he was at Williamsburg at the time. I mean, uh, Charlottesville, and he came down to Williamsburg where we were playing and um, just got in the mix of it. Wound yeah. up bogeying the last hole, finished third. I had a chance to win. You don't know it because I really wasn't paying attention to the scoreboards. Right. I was just trying to play and play my game. But bogey the last hole, and Larry Mize birdied the last hole. He kind of flipped me for second. But um, that kind of really taught me you just got to stay around. Yeah. It's kind of like a football game. You you got to stay there till the fourth quarter. Yeah. It's, it's the last nine at Augusta. You got to stay there to be in the mix to see what happens. Yeah. You 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 may have told me this before, but you've played in the majors. I mean, so what? I played uh, I played the U.S. Open. I played the '91 PGA and the '92 U.S. Open. Yeah. Um, you know, so the majors were really. You, you think about them. I remember Mason Rudolph always looking. He goes, "Hey, you look at the fields; they're limited. Um, some guys aren't in tour members, so a yeah. U.S. Open." You know, is a field that is made up, you know, of qualifiers. So the PGA is based on merit from your earnings from 90 and 91. So I got in basically, um, I think it was eighth alternate. And so Daly was like 14th alternate that got in. Right. So I was in before Daly, but uh, I'll never forget going to the range. And I was Dick Harmon, Bobby McKeever worked for Dick Harmon. Dick was out there working with couples. And so I pulled up hitting some balls right between Fred Couples and Seve. Mm-hmm. And I remember I, I was just a little, you know, wide out. Hey, I was at the PGA and, and then the first shot I hit a cold, cold shank, and I'm, you know, I, I could just think about taking Chevy, uh, Chevy's head off, you know, with that shank, and everybody's looking around. Oh no! Me, hit a little hazel rocket, but uh, Dick come over and goes, just slow it down a little bit, Bob. Just relax. <laughs> it's like that scene in Ten Cup. Yeah, exactly. I, I thought <laughs> I was of, at Ten Cup. Yeah. Who's hitting the chili peppers down the line? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that 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 scene resonated with. No, you. no doubt. And yeah. so. Um, you know, I played pretty well there all week. I opened up 72, 71, you know, and I went out the third day, and I three-putted three the first hole from 10 feet. It was yeah. just like, you know, everything just kind of went. I remember I was three over playing the last three holes there, and they were really the toughest stretch of the hole. 16, right. 17, 18, I bogeyed every one of them, and I, made, and I shot, you know, six over. And I shot par the last day. So you look at a major, you're like, hey, man, I shot six over. But if you shoot three under, you're in Augusta. It's not – wasn't a far walk, you know, from just right. getting through a period of time, a rough quarter, a rough stretch. And that's what I learned about majors. And so when I went out to the um, U.S. Open in 92, I really thought the golf course fit me well. The rough was 10 inches high. You had to put the ball in the fairway. But what killed me there was just short side myself. If you short side yourself, the rough was so heavy. I wasn't a big guy to open the blade up and expose, you know, a flop. Right. And so those guys like Watson and them just had it down. And yeah. um, so I had some stretches there. I shot 76 70. Faldo played in front of me the third round. And I shot 75 the third round, bogey in 16 78. The wind got up. And then the last day, <clears throat> excuse me, the last day, there was only um, seven. Seven people broke 80. 
the winds were up so high. You know, they've had all these sure. storms out there in Pebble. I don't know yeah. if you've seen that. And uh, I remember the seventh hole, you hit a sandwich every day. And I hit a full eight iron when I played. And Kite, who won, hit a full six iron. Wow. I mean, you just, you never know what the elements are. Yeah. But, um, you know, the majors were always ones that you had limited fields. So you really felt like one third of the field was playing bad when they got there. Two thirds weren't going to win. It was just, you were kind of battling the one third, really. Yeah. So what do you th- what do you think about today's tour versus back then? I mean, obviously purses have changed and amount of people's interests and and whatnot. Where do you see the tour today versus where it was back then, and how well how it's I think, changed? I think if you look at you know um, the Tennessee Golf Association, the Tennessee Junior Tour, you look at you know what Dick Horton and those guys are created over there. You got people involved at the game at an early age. These guys are good. You look yeah. at Snedeker. I mean, he was a good player. His brother was a great player, mm-hmm. you know, but you also have to go out there and do it. Sure. But I think having the resources, it, they got exposed to the game and courses. And so these guys are just good, mm-hmm. you know, when I say. So now what's changed is you had the ball change. You had the driver change. So if you just got a better ball, which basically was the pro, the Titus Pro-V with the core, basically yep. kicked it off. Now every ball company's got one. That was seven yards. Yeah. The new driver with the faces a little bit. Basically, it's going to, you know, the metal of the face is just going to bend a little bit. That was seven yards. So, there's 14 yards of distance. Yeah. Basically, when I played, that was added to the game. Then you take guys that are just hitting a core to basically make the ball go up in the air. So, the bigger, stronger players seem to be the ones that are really, you know, excelling today. I'm not saying they can't. I'm just saying – now you're seeing more fitness in golf, stretching yeah. in golf. You look at Trackman, what it's done. You look at video. You look at how much everybody's learned about the game. But yeah. you all have to boil it down to Tiger Woods kind of set a bar that nobody's going to catch, but he just worked hard. Right. He was great. And he kind of went through both the wood wood, then he went through the metal wood, and then nobody's putted like him ever. So, you know, I think even, you know, turf's better. You look at the old masters, Shell One for a World of Golf. You know they basically wrist pop putters. Yeah, the greens were slow, and look at you know. Yeah, I'm not sure what they're stimping now. You know, ten, eleven, twelve. You could have some places thirteen. Everything's better. Yeah, everything's just made their what they do better. I mean, equipment's better to mow the golf courses. We just learn every year about everything. So, you know, you got hybrid Bermudas, you got hybrid bents, you've got everything to make the game better. What were the? That's an interesting question that I've never really thought about because I know when you see the the what they're playing on today, especially the tour guys. I mean, if you go to the tournament, it's just everything's perfect, everything's immaculate. The turf, I mean, hardly was it similar back back in the eighties or nineties when was the turf that good or or is it come a long way in that way? I mean, it's not as good I'm, as it was. Yeah. I mean, obviously, but. It was still great. Yeah. So you got to realize that when you went to TPC to play the tournament players championship, is going to be right. Yeah. And so, but you're going spring, so you know it was going to be wet. And so then you just had to wait on what the weather was going to be in Jacksonville at that time. Right. And so, you know, the TPC courses kind of set the bar. They seemed like they had more money. They had more of a team that was kind of going around to get yeah. the, you know, Scottsdale was in great shape. Um, you can just name the best place maybe of all shape. I didn't play Augusta, but uh, Muirfield Village, what Jack did. Yeah. I mean, he tried to make it like Augusta. And so, you know, that place was off the charts and condition-wise. I mean, Hawaii, when you go over there, I mean, it's nothing exceptional. I mean, sure. they, they had Bermuda greens, and, yeah. you know, they'd roll them, and they were – I mean, it was in good shape, but, you know, the roughs there was not uniform like you're going to see today's, you know, right. PGA Tour events. But – um um, it's come a long ways. I think just what they mow it with and how they treat it, they stripe it up better, you know. Yeah. So, uh, but you never played a stretch of bad, bad courses. No, I would think not. But I, and obviously, it, like you said, technology, mowers, all that's come a long way since then. But I was always curious because you know, green speeds are always the main topic of conversation, especially you know back then they just didn't have the. I guess they just didn't do the things necessary or didn't want to have them as fast, and they've gotten increasingly faster. The fastest greens I ever saw was on tour was basically at Walt Disney World. We played uh, Magnolia 
And, you know, down grain, mm-hmm. they felt like they were like 16. And yeah. instead of the grain, they felt like they were about 10. And so, <laughs> boy, when you got, you better know where you were. Sure. And, um, but, you know, they were pretty much uniform. I mean, the yeah. tour did a good job. You know, they had to get the old stint meter out. And, you know, they were just smooth and true. I mean, they did a good job. I mean, yeah. But you can also realize we we're, were wearing metal cleats. Yeah. True. And so there's a lot of guys that love to go out for, first <laughs> and just drag their foot. Yeah. You know, make it terrible for the people behind them. Yeah. And, and that's sure, that, a true that, story. N- that never went on, did it? Oh, no, never. <laughs> what, um, you know, did you have a, did you prefer or have a preference? Did you like, oh, man, I got to play on Bermuda this week or Bent this, you know, did you have a any sort of on the greens? Did you ever have a better feel for one for the other? I think I like playing on Bent better. Yeah. Uh, obviously, because in Nashville, you know, you look at what we grew up on here, you know, the hybrid Bermudas have come in yeah. in the last 15 years, but before that, it was all Bent. Everybody yeah. was trying to be Augusta, you know, sure. and so I like playing on it. But I wasn't, you know, I grew up on a real grainy Bermuda course at Dexter Country Club, so it didn't bother me seeing it. Right. But you just had to kind of know how to play it. And yeah. so um, you would only see that in Florida, and um, you would see it in, you know, if you were in Georgia, you know, in South Georgia, like Columbus. We, were, You know, back then we used to play the Southern yeah. Open at, at Columbus. But the Disney courses, anywhere in Florida you see it at Bermuda. But other than that, I think the toughest thing to putt was – you know, they call it the seaside bent Poe out there on the West Coast. Right. And that was something – it's hard to read. It's hard to putt, you know. And yeah. the later day, it got really bumpy, uneven. And then you can't believe the ball goes which way it goes. Yeah. Because it just does its own little deal. Well, they still talk about that to this day. You know, I mean, that, that's a tough grass to manage. And, I mean, some people just accept and go on with it and make it good. And but Well, yeah. you know, it's funny – I. I was never a great pole punter, but I had some chances to play pretty well out there and just never did. And I, I was kind of, you know, Snedeker's had a lot of success out yeah. there. And I asked him one year at the Vinny, I said, what, you know, what do you do? He says, well, I just get used to that you've got to take an aggressive approach to the yeah. putt, try to make it. Yeah. If you miss it, so what? Just work. He just worked a lot on his three, four, five footers. Yeah. And he said, I was just really aggressive. If I made it, great. If I didn't. You know, coming back didn't scare me. Where a lot of people, the way you hit them, I think you know, if you started missing some and got too far by, you're like, man, this this is kind of a bumpy surface. Yeah. It kind of intimidated you a little. Made bit. you nervous. Yeah. The um, you know, when we think about the grasses and stuff, and and what's changed. I mean, now you talked about how bent used to be the predominant grass in this area, and it's all cyclical, cyclical because a lot of courses have converted over to ultra dwarf Bermuda. But sitting in this recent conference in, in Middle Tennessee, they're talking about how the Bents are making a, a strong push to go further south again. So, you know, you went through that kind of, you know, ride where we've kind of decided what's the best for this area because, you know, we they call it the transition zone where we kind of sit in this little band of where the weather is not too hot, not too cold, kind of in between. And it just, you deal with a lot of different grasses. I think we're going to start seeing some of these really new bents. Uh, people are going to consider putting them back in. Well, you know, and you know, Brent, you know, Brent Heath was yep. a long time super here at Greystone for him. And he worked for you at the golf club. You know, he and I had had this argument every year. I said, yeah, you're going to stress. When do you want to stress? You want to stress out there, putting the covers on, taking the covers off, you know, in the winter, yeah, and then not knowing where you got grass being alive, I said, "Hey, let's just keep what we got. Everybody else is going to go." And I just was never convinced that the stress in the summer was easier than the stress in the winter. Yeah, um, I watched Jason Lloyd and his crew do it at Tunica. I mean, and two years ago we had covers down all secure and he lost a good percentage mm-hmm. of his turf on his greens and so he did everything possible right but he didn't double cover which you could have but a lot of places wouldn't double cover yeah. and i don't think those places see up here and i think probably that trend um you know is coming back so the second thing i ask you know which one do you make more putts with yeah i think people love rolling the ball in the new hybrids but they're so slick. They're hard to read. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because you get going, you know, I always tell people we got to read the first, third, you know, three-part, second, third, then how it's going to finish. Right. 
you don't have to think that much with bent. You know, you kind of look at the slope where the water's rolling off, and you just kind of kind of feel it and just hit it. So I think that trend, you know, and correct me if I'm wrong, which one lays horizontal, which one's vertical? Bent's vertical and yeah. Bermuda's. And so with the blade being vertical, it seems like the ball just tends to roll a little bit more true. I may be wrong for a guy to be consistent, you know, because I may go through a patch that's horizontal one way. Yeah. You know, it's just reading the grain. But you guys do such a good job of getting the grain out. I mean, we've got some, you know, great superintendents around Middle Tennessee. For sure. No doubt. And then, you know, in West Tennessee. So um, I'm always amazed and appreciative, you know, how good it is. You don't realize how much work goes in to get a golf course in great shape yeah. and keep it in good shape and what a great job all the supers do. Well, we appreciate you saying that. I mean, it's, you know, guys are really good at what they do these days and there's a lot of good ones. There's, you know, um, they, whether it's Bent or Bermuda, They've got a handle on what they're doing. And to your point about, you know, you can do everything possible to to make sure that you get through whatever stress time, whether it's in the winter or the summer. And sometimes Mother Nature just, you know, she's going to do what she's going to do. And that's what, unfortunately, we fight. You know, you can be the best super in the world and do everything you can. And, you know, one day it's too hot and too dry and everything burns up or gets zero degrees for four or five days. And what do you do? You know, it's you know, that's. That's part of trying to figure out how to minimize those damages, but be good at you know. Okay, here's a problem. Let's find a solution and move on. You know, and as a bit and as a golf course owner, those are the decisions you have to make on a daily basis. It's funny. My Sunday school teacher was talking about Elijah, and then he's talking about the drought. Yeah. In the desert, and I was like, he said, "You think you can run a golf course having a drought?" Then right after that lesson, I think we went on the longest <laughs> drought up here. And Dix, I said, I told us to get you. Preach about Noah and the flood. <laughs> I'll try for you. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, you know, you guys do a good job. But, you know, Mother Nature, you know, kind of prevents you. And I think, you know, here at Greystone, we've kind of got – it's taking a long time. We've got fans out pretty much everywhere we need, trying to cool them off. But, you know, I do think um, it's good that now the bent grass has got the hybrids. People are focused on that. It'd be yeah. interesting to see who switches back to that, if any switch back. I bet I bet somebody will eventually. I mean, I you know no no haven't heard that anybody is right now. But I think if they're if somebody's considering a conversion here in the near future, they may they may who knows? Because I think that from all indications are the new bents are pretty good from a heat you know heat stop, uh, tolerance and drought and all that kind of stuff. So. We'll see. I mean, be interesting uh, little twist. I think uh, they showed a graph this past week and about how. Oh, my headphones just went out. That's all right. <laughs> I can still hear you. But um, and they showed it. They showed there. They go. Sorry about that. Um, they showed a, a graph where um, the southeast is really the only place where Bermuda is the predominant grass in terms of the greens everywhere else. And, and that graft has slowly started to creep down through Tennessee, even on the East coast and, you know, down into Texas. It's kind of, it's kind of interesting to see how that's playing out. So we'll see. I mean, it may hang on here. It may not. Well, you know, what is interesting, I think we've both seen the, um, and I can't remember the golf course's name, but it's red something out there that the Collins group is doing in Dallas. Yeah. And they did that triple seven, Hybrid bent. So if it survives in Dallas, it can pretty much survive here in yeah. Tennessee. There's no doubt. Yeah. Well, do you think that, uh, touching back on one more thing in the PGA Tour, do you think that we're going to see somebody like Tiger? I mean, we had Jack and we had Tiger, and the arguments for both are pretty valid. But, um, you know, nowadays you see the somebody with that work ethic, that drive, that killer instinct, that just, you know, do whatever they can to win. you think we're ever going to see anybody get on that kind of – three-year run, four-year run? You know, I think, um, sure, I think you're always going to have a great player. And I think yeah. it boils down to the guy putts. Yeah. Tiger was the greatest putter we've seen in that period of, you know, he made big putt after big putt after big putt. If you watch, they were doing the Tiger Slam, and I was watching that on the treadmill somewhere, and I didn't stay on that long, but I kept watching yeah. clips and watching clips of it. Um, he just made putt after putt after putt after putt. Look at Jordan Spieth, the run he went on. Yeah. I mean, wasn't a great three, four, five-foot putter, but, man, he made more big putts like 20, 25 feet than anybody we've seen. So I think it yeah. takes a guy – everybody hits it pretty good 
The up down is just the guy that converts the putt, gets hot. So college golf is way more superior than when I played in our time. You know, watching Ben's group, Hunter's group, these guys are really good. These colleges have taken it serious. They've got training programs. You've got weight training. You've got sports psych. You've got ball beaters, coaches. You've got trap mans. You've got everything you need to be successful. So they're training them. And these training grounds – are bringing people from all over the world to train, and then we're throwing them out on the tours. And so the only thing that's going to maybe throw a wrench in it a little bit is the Live versus PGA Tour, and I'm not sure what's going to happen there. Yeah. Um, but I hope that everybody gets this thing resolved and we just keep pumping it out because golf is really a great sport. Yeah. I'd love to see where it is and where it's going. Do you think those two tours can coexist or that at some point they're going to have to mingle? Well, I don't think they're going to mingle, but I do think they can coexist. I yeah. think – in my opinion, you know, back in the old days when we played the tour, you played January and you were pretty much done October. What I saw the live being was more of a winter tour, maybe started September, mm-hmm. end in December, January. So some of these guys or February. So some of these guys like Ernie Els would go back to South Africa, Nick Price, and play the South African tour back right. a long time ago. And then they come over and play, you know, the U.S. So what I see is more of that, not – you know, hey, you're going to go, these guys that want to go play live are going to play that time. Yep. But it's going to have compromise from both tours. No yeah. Doubt. Yeah, I don't know. I, I I, don't know if I have an opinion one way or another. I think, like you said, though, I think they got to figure it out because there's too much animosity, too many things in the air about what's going what and who's going where. And, you know, the money's one thing. I get it. You know, people want to make their money. but Well, it, you look at Hawaii this past week. Mm-hmm. Jordan Speed led and then he missed the cut. Yeah. You don't have a cut on live. Right. So there's no pressure to make a cut, but the cut is there in everybody's brain. Right. Every tour player, you got to make the cut before you can play Saturday and Sunday. And so it's real. You got to get through Friday before you can play Saturday and Sunday. And then if I just knew me that I didn't have a cut, I might've been the greatest player ever play. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) No kidding. I mean, it just lets you free will it. And um, I just don't think guys are – need a free will they need a little pressure on them you know the money they got at the live you know you can't say there's any pressure but it, you know it'd be cool if they had a cut and then uh, make them start eliminating the field i think um you know i know they want to keep their arguments they want to keep the stars there the right. people there in front of the people and it's disappointing to the people when they get cut out but it's like it's just like the super bowl there's teams eliminated every week that's right. just competition yeah that's the way it is i mean it's been that way you know, back when Hogan and uh, Hagan and everybody played, it seems like the best players find a way to make the cut. Yeah. And I do think that's a good, you know, that's the nice thing about it is is they, they do need to have something to shoot for that to make the cut is, you know, a big deal. And it needs to stay that way. And, you know, and not having one, that just kind of softens it in terms of what these guys could go do and what they're actually playing for. I mean, I mean, is it really – do they really enjoy it, or are they just out there for the money grab? Who knows? Right. I mean, it's like, you know, somebody said it best. I guess it was like um, David Pollack said about Georgia, you know, in the playoff run. Yeah. Pressure was off once they made it to the national championship game. You just let it all hang out. Yeah. You got pressure before that to make it there. Everything's on you to get into the playoffs right. to that deal. So it doesn't matter if you're in business. doesn't matter if you're in the college football playoff or live or the PGA Tour or the live doesn't have a place to eliminate players during the week. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, if they did, it'd be better for them, for their rankings, and to have it more look like a tour. But their arguments are against that. They just want to keep the stars out there in front of the people. Yeah. Well, we'll see. It's certainly an interesting conversation. I'm sure it'll be one that continues to grow and grow and grow and see who know, where who knows where it goes. No but, doubt. But what is um, – so – Transitioning a little bit to your ownership role now and some of the things that you're doing kind of uh, away from playing days, um, what has all of that kind of taught you and how you've kind of adapted? Because I know, you know, you've been doing this for a while now, but you're now the basically the owner. This is all yours. And, and we're out here sitting here overlooking everything. It's beautiful out here. I know it's the wintertime, but this is a gorgeous piece of property. So what is the what is all that you've learned about golf and all that kind of you know, transferred over. I think just being in the tour business, you know, and then being in this business, you got to be in the people business. And I always like talking to people and yep. getting to know people, figure out where they're coming. So 
You know, I was in Tunica for a long time at 18 years, and so um, Charlie Blunt's kind of run the golf course for me here. And the thing we tried to do is um, basically cater to the masses, you're going to dine with the classes. You cater to the classes, you're going to dine with the masses. <laughs> sure. And so we want it to be an every man's golf course with private or tour qualities. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, you know, so as good as – the course can be condition wise for the money we thought it was what we were trying to do and mm-hmm. make their round experience exceptional and so you know McCumber did a great job here so you finish 15, 16, 17, 18 really you've got to produce and so when we took over we wanted to make basically the hitting area wider mm-hmm. and so we felt like all the fescues slowed it up you know if we needed a tournament we could grow the rough up um, but it was so tight that um, we wanted it more accessible. So as we stayed with Bent and made it more playable, we felt like 13, 14, 12, 13, 14, 15, let you make some birdies to kind of come back and save your round. And right. If you finish well, you go, man, I had a great time out there today. I played good. And, it, you know, the first the first night kind of beat you up, but we want to have a good experience, good customer service, and – smile hope they're going to come back and so when we took it over it basically had been damaged after i left and did about twelve thousand rounds and then grew it back and you know double that you know since we've been back and so that's what you want you just want growth consistent and so to this day you know we're always looking at surveys and people's quality so you know this property going up the hill down the hill off the hill pace of play is always concerned right. and so you can get backed up but you know, what we look at is about a four-hour, 20-minute round. If they can come out here and have a good time, be mm-hmm. affordable round, place to play, that they'll have a good time. That's what we've tried to do. And that's what I've tried to do in Tunica, and that's what I've tried to do here and everywhere I've been. So how many rounds do you do a year now? You know, we'll do double that, you know, right about 25000 yeah. you know, and up. And so it just depends on where the economy is. But, sure. um, you know, that's, that's busy, you yeah. know, out here. And For so sure. you, you look at the cycle. It's eight months, maybe nine months. Right. The winter months are always, you know, lower, but, you know, it's busy. You know, and it's good. You know, the golf scene in Middle Tennessee is good. You know, all the courses seem to be growing, and, you know, everybody's wanting to get out and play golf. So that's what we try to do. How did the COVID era era and all that that we kind of went through, did you see what I saw a lot of other golf courses where people were kind of using golf as an outlet? Did that – well, it was great. It was great that people got to get outside yeah. and do something during COVID. I think people have never been through a pandemic. You hadn't either, and so nobody yeah. knew what to do, sure. or what you could do, and you're always looking at the governor's orders, what you could do business wise, what you couldn't do business wise. So, you know, what we did was one cart, one rider. Nobody wanted to be near anybody. Hey, you can come right. out here and carry your bag, you know. And so it's these lockdowns, and so we lost all our corporate business, all our charity business, anything inside. You know, basically the clubhouse could only have six people, so we served, had to come and go. So you lost revenue there compared to where you've been. You lost all that revenue from weddings and corporate events and corporate tournaments. Right. You know, golf shop sales were down, but golf was up. Sure. From the standpoint of the carts being active. Not, you know, your, your numbers were up as far as people using it, but they, so it just wore your cart fleet out. Right. Luckily, we'd gone to lithium. In Tunica, I'd had lead-acid batteries, and it burnt. I mean, it wore my battery, my fleet. It killed my fleet yeah. in Tunica. And so um, it was just good people wanting to get outside and try it. And I think all of a sudden it created this new demand of the game, hey, let's go play. Right. And uh, there was no pressure on playing. People just wanted to be safe, having a good time, you know, get away, get out. And yeah. then they go back into being indoors. And, you know, that's what it did to this area. It created, you know, and so – our job is to hook these guys out of this area to come play and stay in this arena. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I have an issue with in Nashville and this area is there's not a lot of public golf. There's just, it's mostly all private. And when you, when somebody asks, well, where can I go play? It's hard to tell them. And then the places that you tell them that you want to recommend are jammed up. I mean, sun up to sundown. If it's a nice day, you're, you know, you're packed. So, uh, it, I, and, and being in Dixon, which is, what, 40, 30 minutes west of Nashville, I mean, and, and Nashville's growing, I think you're only going to see that increase because you're one of 
a handful of public golf courses, semi-private public golf courses. You know, that's what we've tried to tell people. Say, we've got to do, you know, we've been talking. There's a lot of time. Is, is this raining or the weather? And, and so getting the staff ready um, for this new year is that what can we do to make the experience better? We've got right. to do a better job getting them around. Mm-hmm. And so with that, making sure we've got everything to get them around better. Yeah. Um, and then make sure the conditions are what they expect. And then, you know, from there, just – take care of my own property but i think you know and we do offer a membership because i've always it's a yearly annual vip membership so what i try to do is just if you're really going to play a bunch and it's be affordable that's what you need to do because you can play a bunch yeah um you know memberships in nashville the private clubs are going through the roof and so their exposure their demand um is at a high level too and you can't get in those clubs and so you know where there's going to be more public courses i don't think so i mean the 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 land so pricey to build. I mean, you're gonna to have to have some kind of um, somebody go in there and have two or three or maybe four or five. You know, yeah. so I mean, Stream Song sold for 160 million dollars last week. Kemper Sports bought it. The company I used to work for a little bit, and so I'm like, wow. You know, they've got three courses there. Talking about going to four. You know, they've got a hotel dynamic, and so that's the resort area. Yeah, but. When some you know, it's unheard of paying golf courses. You know, the only thing you've ever heard like that is Pebble Beach, right? You know, but nothing like that in the uh, public arena in Florida. So, you know, this area is going to grow and continue to grow. But um, you know, I think people are looking for those different, unique experiences. Also, no doubt. I mean, it. This is a this golf course offers a lot of unique things that you have here, and I think people, like you said, there's some challenges, and so it's just a matter of where can people go play, what can they find, what can they do, and more and more people are getting out. I mean, you know, we've we've had an opportunity to work at kind of a and look at a project that was a lot different, you know, with the reversible golf course and some of that stuff, and I think you're going to start seeing things like that in golf you know where what are some different ways of getting people around what are some new unique things i mean obviously top golf i don't know that it drove a lot of it it's just a way for people maybe to get swing a club and get involved with the game but what are your thoughts around some of the nine hole new unique ways of doing things well you know i mean the project we were involved in wilson yeah. you know tin house uh, <laughs> i think for what you know they did over there was incredible i mean yeah. you know us playing it you know hadn't opened yet but i think that is a fast, friendly way to play golf. Yep. Um, and I think it's going to be successful. I think um, it's different. You know, it's one, if one of those came to Nashville, you know, what would you think? You know, I know Charlie had gone to Sweetens. You, have you played Sweetens? Oh, yeah. So I hadn't played Sweetens. But, I, you know, Charlie's kind of just in, wow, hey, they 9 o'clock, they just go out there and they take a shot of whiskey and, you know, Peyton Manning's that and I guess he invoked, you know, all you know, son of Sweetens Cove, you know, the golf course, but they play all day, you know, so yep. it's a unique, different pattern than what's done in the daily market. And I'm like, you know, it's different, you know, it's fun. I'm not sure I'd want to do it every day, or maybe I do do want to do it, yeah. but I'm not going to change my model here at Dixon to yeah. do that. But I think um, that's unique. You'd love to see one a little bit closer here. And, but the reversible was something totally that was fresh. Yeah. That you go one way and then all of a sudden, you know, a little bit different day or that same day you go the different way and it plays the same. I'm like, if you could do that nine holes or if somebody did that 18 holes, yeah. wow. Yeah. You really have, you know, and so you would you would think if I was going to build one private, new private, I think a reverse weight team may be the way to go. Yeah, I mean. Because you could play one week one way and then one week the next way because the thing that they did so well – down there in Wilson is just the holes totally set up different yeah. for shot, but the greens still have shot reception, different angles, whether you're going north, south, south, north, east, west. I mean, it's just incredible. So um, I'm excited to see people come down there and see what they do. But, um, you know, I think from an architecture standpoint, I've been looking, you know, you look at Bill Bergen's really active in the market, in right. the redo market. And he's done, you know, the redo he did at Richland Country Club. Looks to be incredible. I hadn't played it. I know he's done down there. I know you went down to Chattanooga and played down there at um, um, gotta help me real quick. Um, Macklemore, Macklemore, yeah. yeah. And they're building eighteen more holes yeah, there at Macklemore, mm-hmm. and he's doing that. But he did Chattanooga Golf and Country Club, the redo there. 
I know he's doing Brentwood Country Club, three yeah, doing. I mean, he's all over the place. He's an Auburn man. That, that yeah. ticks me off. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. He's a good guy. But, you know, and I think he just kind of does his job that he likes, and uh, he rolls the face down mm-hmm. to the bottom. It's not a huge yeah. face of the bunker or the flash. And, the, and so it just looks timeless and traditional what he does, and it's been very successful. And so, I mean, you look at Doak, and you look at Gil Hans, and these different ones. You know, the Golf Club of Tennessee is doing Gil Hans. And so yep. – it's going to be a new era in Nashville, a little bit in golf, in some of these places. But I still think, um, you know, what we've got here is pretty. You got a broad diversification of different designers in Nashville, yeah. all across. So pretty good. Yeah. So what what would you say are some of your challenges that you have here from the golf standpoint? Because you're pretty much primarily all golf. I mean, you have food and beverage, but you don't. I don't know that you're open for dinner or anything like that. Maybe you do, but what what are your challenges out? I mean, obviously we looked at some water damage and some stuff in the kitchen, but outside on the golf course, what what are you what do you got that you see that you need to address? Well, or you know, there's there's a couple of things. Obviously, you always look at labor. Sure, in this market, you know, I we think, can always talk about that. <laughs> I mean, labor's in every market. You yeah. know, labor's a challenge. You know, Pat Puitt's the new super, and I think he's had a lot of different you know faces. Right. You look at F and B, you know, I kinda of beg to differ with I mean, I'm a man that's overweight, so we have a good F and B here sure. at Greystone. But uh, <laughs> no, I think um, you know, golf course does it need an update? When's that gonna happen? You know what I mean? You almost gotta look at a whole remodel at some point yeah. down the road. You know, it, how's it gonna go? Is it gonna go nine holes, nine holes? And uh that may be that Sweetens Cove type deal that you bring them out here at nine o'clock and put the you only get so many people, and here's the deal for the day. And so, um, you know, are you going to do a green, you know, in that deal? The greens are, as we talked about, or, you know, 24, 25 years old. You know, the sprinkler system's 24, 25 years old. Right. All those. So, you know, turf quality, you know, yeah. I think, you know, we just got done redoing all the bunkers out here. You know, not a redo, but just – New sand, you know, I had an issue back with some of my liners, and so we've got that back, and they're working on getting that done, you know. And so I think, you know, we've talked about just getting that basically the turf under the greens, mm-hmm. having a little reset, you know, whether it's a drill and fill, but, you know, airification and the new sand under there is going to help the profile underneath the greens. So I think you're always working on something to make the golf course better. Right. No doubt. And so there's standard maintenance, but there's future maintenance. And so what's that going to look like? So, you know, trying to come up with a plan of the future, too. So so how do you do that? Do you sort of put these things on a board or in your mind and, and you say, okay, I need to start thinking about an irrigation redo or I need to think about greens renovation? Do you have that sort of – you may or may not ever do them, but do you, I'm sure you – well, I think, you know, I've owned the golf course for a year and a half, and yeah. so, I, you know, I've leased it for a while. But I think now, you know, that I own it, There's that's a real thing you put in a plan, you know. And I think yeah. I've got to start putting money back for a nice capital expenditure plan of a redo. Mm-hmm. And so what's the redo going to look like, you know? Yeah. The redo price, as we know, last year was expensive. You know, if you're going to build nine holes somewhere, you know, maybe nine million. I don't have that money. Right. That's not going to be what I got to do. but. You know, is the it's just going to be hey, we're going to take nine of the greens, redo them, do, redo the bunkers, yeah. you know, and then, you know, what's it going to cost to redo the, the sprinkling system? You do it at the same time or not? Is that a different time period? So I think I've got to look at that, and I hadn't drilled down far enough, BJ, to be honest, but yeah. that is in my mind, no yeah. doubt. Yeah, and then and then the ultimate consideration is is for you you know you want to try to figure out how to do that and not lose revenue if, or try to do well, it. Well, that's right. I mean, that's the key. So you want to yeah. do it where it's seamless. That's why I say yeah. if you, you closed nine, redid nine, yeah. you could do it like Sweetens and open the other nine back up, do it like Sweetens the next year. Yeah. And then, you know, it's just you, you're looking at everything around here. You're looking at the range, you know, what you're looking at redoing putt green. So you're looking at what I need to do to make the place better Yeah. and keep attracting people that want to be come out here and play i don't want a guy to do the golf course that had never been involved and all of a sudden i've got a golf course they can't play yeah because we are having the uh 2023 state open out here in june so yep. that's exciting that's going to be our maybe our ninth one so that's pretty good state open state open yeah 
And y'all do host a, a quite a few. I mean, that I can remember. You know, y'all been pretty active in in the in the state of Tennessee in terms of hosting their major events. I mean, you can talk a little bit about some of that and that kind of notoriety you guys get and some of the things you get to do for the state. So when I stopped playing, I took the attitude that hey, I wanted to be highly competitive and have great events out here, whether they're going to be in competitive, corporate, or business, you know, events, you know. Yep. And so we really went after them and been successful. We had, um, you know, went to – we had a five-year contract with the um, Tennessee Golf Association. We did five state opens right out of the gate. Right. And I think we've had four more, maybe a little bit more than that. I, I need to probably have that number down. But I also did three PGA Tour schools first round. So, I mean, we go after the events and then, um, you know, corporate charity. They, You know, everybody, the staff, Charlie and the staff – do a great job. My son Ben here is working now, and then you know Bobby and Zach over there in the golf shop, and then over in the other side you got Dion and Mindy, you know, cooking good food. So good food makes Heck yeah, you know, happy stomachs make people want to come back. And so uh, cold beer, this cold beer, <laughs> it had to make people want to come back. That's right. Uh, yep. Well, um, anything we didn't cover about on the uh, the 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 ownership front? I mean, I know that there's a lot that we try to slam into it, but I don't, I don't know that a lot of people that listen to me own their own golf course, but there's, you know, it's always been something I've thought about doing one day. And, but what would, what would you say to someone who's looking at doing an ownership or wanting to jump in and, and own a golf course or, or may currently be uh, owning a golf course? What would you make one or two points that you well, might Well, I think it? it's anything, you know, I think yeah. I always say, you know, I kid Charlie, if it's not something, it's something else. Yeah. Expectations are not going to be perfect. Always, <laughs> right? Something's going to happen. Yeah, <clears throat> but make sure you got good people, good businesses. Make yeah. sure you got good insurance. Um, you've got a team of friends or a board that you're going to kind of look for advisement. Yeah, whether it be your sisters or family or yeah. friends, they come visit and give you true, honest feedback about what's going on. Whether yeah. the condition of your course, what's your clubhouse look? You know, you know, our buddy Will Andrews looked at the paint. And said iron ore, so we painted all the tables, we painted all the trim, and it made it made it look great, made it yeah. an update. You know what I'm saying? I think you got to look at the gutters, you got to look at the outside. I mean, just you need a team. You know, it takes a team of people to build a village, and um, you know we got a lot of good members here, a lot of good friends, a lot of good people that come here over a lifetime, whether they travel yeah. in here or out, but they give us good feedback, they have a good time. But yeah. if if you're not having fun, Playing here, working here, being here, I'm not doing my job as an owner. Sure. Is what, that's what I tell somebody. If I own a town, if I own a, a course, if I own a business, make it fun. Make it good. Yeah. Make it something that people want to come back over and over. Again, cater to the masses. you down with the classes. Yeah. Well, I, I wish that more people thought that way, and and that that's a key to success in a lot of businesses and you know, whether it's maintaining a golf course or running a golf course or, you know, doing accounting or, you know, owning a restaurant, all those things are important. I mean, Amazon didn't get where it was not doing no something pretty good. Yeah. FedEx. Yeah. I mean, you can just look at all those businesses and look at the qualities they've got. And I mean, we have to do, you know, I can't do 2,500 rounds and be successful. That's not my model. Right. You know, I have to do at least 25, you know, and so it takes – a lot of people out here. Sure. Well, before we get out of here, we'll talk a little bit. Uh, you, you've been around this area a long time. You know a lot of people. But I think one of the funniest stories and fun and fun stories I like to hear is your buddy and friend, Vince Gill. You, you've known him. You all hang around each other a lot. But you, you've been in some country music videos. I think you should tell that story to the masses about some of how that came about. And it well, was kind of funny to hear yeah. you talk about that. Well, Vince and I became fast friends through the great game of golf and yep. um, played a lot of good, you know, golf rounds together at the Golf Club of Tennessee and got to know each other. And yep. uh, he's a really good friend with Rick Bird, who I was good friends with at the time. We had no idea. And so, yeah. you know, Vince said, we started, he said, won't you come see my concerts? And then we got playing and won't you go travel with me some? And I took some time. So he and I just became like really good friends and sure. close friends. And it's just amazing what he taught me about life and how he is and what type person, you know, he is. And so, um, it was funny one day he goes, Hey, uh, I think I'm gonna make a, a golf video and I want you to be in it. So I need a couple other guys. So 
we rounded up John Spellman from <laughs> Richland Country Richland, Club. We yeah. got Tom Vuzzle, my buddy from Dixon out here, and then Birdman and then all his bands. So we shot part of it at the Golf Club of Tennessee and shot part of it at Nashville Golf. Yeah. And so the possum, George Jones, was in the back part of the video out there at uh, Nashville Golf. And so that was all the indoor part was at Nashville Golf. Yeah. And the outdoor part of the swing and the golf and in the bunkers and everything, that was all at the Golf Club Tennessee. Yeah. And so um, it was pretty funny. Um, we did the video, and Benny Garcia, who's now passed and was one of Vince's best friends growing up, and they played music together in Oklahoma City. And so he kind of elves it up, you know, one, two, three, quattro, you know. And, it, <laughs> and so uh, it was just Vince's idea. It was just yeah. crazy. And, yeah. you know, they put the guy, these Martin Parker, and uh, I can't remember the other drummer. They that was in the blue and white suits, you know, and – I mean, it's just crazy all the outfits yeah. out there, but it was a lot of fun to do that. And I think he got number two video of the year. Alan Jackson's Chattahoochee. They just saw That's the people one. in the bathing suits, yeah. you know. <laughs> sure. Um, but it was pretty funny. I said, "Well, you know, I propelled you to great heights in this yeah. music video." And he said, "Well, come on, we're gonna go do another one." And so we went out to Murfreesboro, and I was in a little more love. And back then, you had pop up videos where they they kind of announce what you say, and so. Um. The producer said, hey, I'm going to do it like pop-up video. And so, anyway, he said, "Get just get on stage and, you know, sit down, act like you're playing guitar. And I don't know guitar. You know, <laughs> you know guitar. I don't know guitar. And so I just started playing, you know. And so when you do those videos, the music plays and they shoot and, you, and it's real fast. It's over and yep. they load. And so you kind of get lost. And so I just started playing this guitar one string. And so they made fun of, hey, Bob's playing guitar one string, pop-up <laughs> video. And so... <laughs> anyway, he uh he's been a lifelong friend. We've done so much together. Um you know, I've been to his wedding and you know, I've seen my kids born and yeah. and so it's just been, you know, to share life. It's funny we uh share the same chiropractor. He sent me to the stretch lab here yesterday and so you know, we just stay in touch and um I've been blessed by him, you know, his friendship forever. But he is incredible, credible, successful what he does and playing, but he's one hell of a golfer too. Heck yeah. I got I got one my time at the golf club. He I seen him, you know, get to see him play a lot of golf, and you know I I didn't know him all that well. I'd say hi to him and stuff like that, but it was interesting to see him his golf game mature. And you know, if, <laughs> he probably doesn't want to see every have everything said about him out there. But I mean, he he had it was fun to see, and I know you guys have been lifelong friends. And he you know he was going through a difficult time, going through a divorce, and uh, was out here playing and set the course record out here. Yeah. And, uh, it's pretty funny. He goes, every time he comes out, he, he and I will play. We'll, we'll play some of the two-man events out here, and we'll win. I said, man, you got more gift certificate credit out here than, <laughs> than, than I, we even owe people. I mean, you got to come get it off the books. Yeah. You know? So he's pretty funny. Yeah. He's always competitive, though. Good time. Well, one of the things that um, I like to do is is the, the premise of this podcast that I do, the making the turn, and we're golf guys, so we know that – you know, you making the turn as a sim, symbol, you know, symbolic sort of finish front nine, go the back right. nine. And I've sort of flipped that out onto kind of life in general. Like, it doesn't really matter what's happened to you in the past. Like, that's over. You got to forget about it. And it, it's how you finish. And so this whole making the turn concept has come about. And, you know, I'm trying to spin that in some kind of way. Whereas not only do I talk to people, but I talk about what they've experience in life and right. not really dwelling on it whether it's been bad good divorces bad relationships you know all that kind of stuff the way you leave your life going forward and finishing up the back nine of your life is important to me and you know and you're you're very close to me and some of the things that's happened to me in my life and things like that but what i try to do is like if there's something that you can give to someone that you know you've learned from and said hey I've taken this, I've learned from, and I put it behind me and moved on. I want to try to wrap up this podcast, and I appreciate you doing all, all that. If there's just one thing you could probably give somebody that kind of away from the work and just the life and the balance. and Because I know you, you don't have to share a lot of your stories, but I know some of your stories, too, about you know just how things are rough. Well, and, I think you know the problem is never too big. Yeah. And so I think trying to simplify the problem, reach out to somebody that cares. Share your hope, strength, and experience yeah. with somebody else. Yeah. And I think people get boxed in. They get lonely, isolated. Mm -hmm. That's dangerous. For sure. When they get isolated, lonely, they're going to do something not in the normal. 
and you can prevent normal. So reach out to somebody, call a friend, stay in touch. Yeah. And realize, you know, it's just one day. Yeah. Get through today. You know. That's good stuff. Yeah. Just yeah. keep it simple. Yep. Well, Bob, we've done over an hour, and I like to keep it to that, and I appreciate you doing this. It's been an honor. It's been fun. Oh, and man, it's been great, BJ. I'm sure we could talk another two hours, but I promise you that I and wouldn't then, take up all you know, your time. Next time we see each other, we'll play some golf, and you can beat me. <laughs> I don't know. We had some fun playing there. <laughs> I seen your game. It was pretty pretty good. I don't know that I... Well, you know, what I was going to say is, hey, I started out playing golf when I was little. Now I'm back playing more <laughs> golf than I was, so... That's fun. It, it all it's all goes around what you know, just circle of life. Circle of life. That's it. Well, Bob, I appreciate it. Um, you know, anything I can do for you, you can always reach out to me. Um, you don't do much social media, do you? I usually let people give out their social media and stuff if you want to give out. I think out. it's Bob Evans Walcott. Yeah. I think. <laughs> so, but I am on there, you know, I got yeah. remarried, so you know, yeah. I'll put some pictures out there yeah. every now and then and yeah. uh but it's it's fun. I you know, I like following it. I look yeah. at Twitter, I look at Facebook. I don't post a ton now. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I've just I like reading other people's stuff. I've tried to try to listen to some podcasts. I look forward to listening to this one. Yeah. You know, you know. I'm sure I'll beat myself up. So how dumb I sound? <laughs> no, heck no. It's been great. It's been great conversation. I mean, it, the 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 hour goes by fast, and I tell everybody it's just you know it's just fun to sit down and talk to people you know even though i i know you i, I don't know everything about you and so it's just always learns it's a learning experience well, for back, me back at you bj i yeah. mean i've never seen somebody that can do podcasts play music <laughs> grow grass and play golf i mean you got it all well i'm trying i mean we'll see hopefully one of those things sticks we'll see but, it, uh, it will roll time yeah. um, do you want to give out the the graystone info yeah too? graystone golf club by it's 615-446-0044 or uh, you can go on the website www graystonegc.com yeah. so if you're in the mid-state middle Tennessee area west side of Nashville go check them out it's a great golf course you'll have fun a lot of cool people that will take care of you see Bob say hi say you heard him on the podcast and that's it uh, this is another episode of Making the Turn be sure to share the show it's on Apple Spotify wherever you find your uh, podcast and until next time I will talk to you soon